We're going to get started with our teaching time in just a moment, uh, but before we do, we've got a really significant event that's taking place today, and I want to invite uh, Bob and Jean Fick to come up and join me on stage today. If you're new to Connect, let me just give you a little bit of a, a, a history of, of what's been happening around here. Uh, we're a big believer in planting churches. We're a fairly new church ourselves. Seven years ago, my wife and I moved to the valley here, and we planted Connect Church, and, uh, and we made a commitment when we moved here that we would continue to plant churches. Uh, and the reason we're so passionate about that is because research has indicated that people who don't know Jesus, that don't have a church background, are far more likely to attend a new church than a church that's been around for a long period of time. It's just more comfortable. Uh, it's, it's easier to break into and build relationships, and, uh, and, and new churches just have, a, have an ability to, to communicate to people who don't have a church background. So a few years ago, we partnered with a pastor in Billings and planted a new church there. Last September, we planted a campus, a Connect Church campus in Great Falls, and, and one of our team members went to Great Falls to be the catalyst to get that started. And now uh, Bruce is moving on, and uh, Bob and Jean are going to be the new campus pastors mm -hmm. in Great Falls, and we're so excited about that. And so today, we just want to commission them for this new phase of ministry and uh, just before we pray for them and charge them, I just wanted to share a couple of stories, and I'm going to invite my wife to come and join me here. And you know how she loves public speaking. This is really special for us because, uh, as, as many of you know, Bob and Jean have been close friends of ours for more than 20 years. And, uh, and so today, for Chris and me personally, this just carries a depth and a significance that, that goes beyond many other events that we've ever celebrated. Um, we met you guys, well, I met you guys before Chris was even in the picture, mm -hmm. uh, and, and you had just recently recommitted your lives to Jesus, and, uh, and the story is great. I think we've told it here before. There was a lady in our church in Great Falls who was on mission, and she knew Bob and Jean needed to be reconnected to God, and she began to share with Jean, and were you doing Bible studies and that sort of thing? No, she, she gave me a Bible. She gave you a Bible, and she'd give you food. All right, well, th that's a great strategy for leading somebody <laughs> to Jesus, let me tell you. Uh, but at any rate, the long and the short of it was you ended up at, at the church that I was uh, a part of, and, and we met, and we began hanging out and, and doing stuff together and building a relationship. And then I have so many memories of you guys in, in so many scenarios. When Chris and I got married, uh, Chris was living in Idaho, and, and we got married, and she moved up to Montana, and it was hard for you. And um, so one day, as, as Chris and I were just struggling through that first year of marriage, and Chris was so lonely and lots of tears, um, one day I called Jean up, or I don't remember if we had this conversation in person, but I said, Jean, will you be my wife's friend? <laughs> <laughs> you were pathetic. <laughs> you, you really were. <laughs> no, it's true. She cried a lot in that first year. And it wasn't all my fault. <laughs> Mostly. <laughs> but uh, but what, what came of that was, was Jean really did reach out to Chris, and they have become best friends. And, uh, and it's, it's a, these are friends that we will have for our entire lives. And um, it, it's awesome that we get to enter into this new phase mm -hmm. of friendship together. 
Um, we've, we've also had fun times and silly times. I remember in the early days, we would get together and play pinochle at your house. We'd have these huge pinochle parties. Uh, I was the leader of our young adults ministry in Great Falls, and, and we'd have these pinochle parties staying up into all hours of the night. And Bob and Jean in those days were serving really terrible coffee. And so, um, <laughs> and I've always been a coffee snob, so I would come to their house with my own coffee maker and my own coffee, and I would say to the people gathered, would you like thick coffee or do you want real coffee? <laughs> and, um, and I've told that story. It was so rude. It, it was rude. Um, but now they drink good coffee. So, um, <laughs> yes, success. And, and, but now the tables have turned, and now, Gene, because you have entered into this whole health food world, Jean comes to our home, and every time she comes, she brings something new that she changes out in our house. So we got rid of white sugar, and now we only have organic cane sugar. We got rid of white salt, and now we have Celtic sea salt. Mm -hmm. And we use coconut oil instead of canola oil. And yes, (laughs) um, so we're healthy, and we all drink good coffee. Yes, it's a good thing. Um, But on a a more serious note, uh, Bob and I not only became good friends, but we really became ministry colleagues in, in many ways from the earliest days. Um, I can remember uh, when I was sick or for whatever reason, if I couldn't lead a Bible study, you were my go-to guy and you'd step in. You were always willing to serve and you were always willing to fi- fill in and, um, and, and you were a leader in so many ways. When we were doing drama productions and those kinds of things, you would you would usually have the lead role. We did a, we did a play called A Tale of Three Kings, and uh, it was a story of David and Saul and David's son Absalom and, and how they interrelated. It was a powerful thing, and, mm-hmm. and Bob played David, and yeah. there was something really significant that happened in that, mm-hmm. in that play, and, and would yeah, you share that share? with people? Yeah. Um, so I guess just to start off, <coughs> I brought this I brought this down with me, and and uh, Russ asked me this morning, um, you know, as we were kind of going over the notes and everything. He said, "So are you going to tell the story about the liar?" And I was like, "I'm looking at my notes, and I'm like, man, I don't remember a story about a liar." He's like, "He's like, no, the the little harp thing that you brought from Gray Falls." I'm like, "Oh, okay, that's right. I always knew this as the little harp, you know, that I that I use, but this is actually a liar." So. Uh, for those of you that maybe don't know that, this this is what it is. So now, I learned that today. Uh, but it was about 20 years ago, I was I was in this play called A Tale of Three Kings. And uh, and like Russ said, I played David. And we'd gone through a lot of practices for a couple few months, I, I guess. And there was the uh, a guy named Bud Knutson who was playing Samuel. And there was a certain scene where Samuel anoints David with oil and then, you know, set, sets him apart for the Lord and, and stuff like that. And we'd gone through this scene many, many times, and we, we didn't use real oil, but we, you know, we said, okay, during the performance, we're going to use real oil, and we kind of choreographed this whole thing out. Well, I'm in the green room right before the first performance, and Bud comes up to me, and he goes, Bob, <clears throat> I just want you to know that when I anoint you with oil in this scene tonight, um, it's just not part of the play. The Lord has spoke to me that you are going to be set aside and set apart for, for ministry. And, and that kind of overwhelmed me. And I, I'm being overwhelmed a little bit right now just thinking back on that moment in time because I, I was, you know, a, a young Christian. We were uh, serving the Lord for just a couple of years. And I realized that that was a really important thing 
And what he was telling me was, was, was really serious and important, but I didn't really know the ramifications at the time. And so we go through this, the first performance, and, and I remember it like it was yesterday when he, I'm looking up at him as he playing Samuel and he's anointing me. And I was just like, I was like, wow, this is just amazing. Well, that was 20 years ago. And so fast forward to just a few days ago, many of you know that we are moving homes in Great Falls. We sold our home and, and we purchased another home. I'm calling it God's ministry home is what I'm calling it because that story is just unbelievable uh, as a side note. But lo and behold, and I hadn't thought about this in many, many years, I moved my dresser and guess what was on the floor underneath my dresser was this liar. It was full of dust, and I thought about this in the first service. I do clean underneath my dresser, but it was full of dust, <laughs> and, and I just, I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, God, you are just so good, because 20 years ago, I had this prophetic word spoken over me mm-hmm. by Bud Knutson, and now 20 years later, it's come to fruition. And now I, I am taking the mantle of being in full-time ministry. And it, it's just so much just like David at that point in time. If you know the story of David, he wasn't king right after that anointing, right? He had to do many, many things, and it took him a really long time. But he was obedient. He stayed the course, and, and then he finally became king. And I just really feel that right now this is a representation of my life serving God, just being obedient, Gene and I both serving together, and now this has come to this culmination and this fruition, and, and I'm, this is a play, This is going to have a place of honor in my office, let me tell you that, and I, I really don't know how to end this story other than just to say that God is good, and he is faithful, and it's his timetable, not ours, and so I just give God the glory for, yeah, for what's absolutely. happening. Another part of the story is that from the time we moved from Great Falls to Bozeman, we've been trying to get you guys to move here with us. <laughs> and, uh, and every time every time we'd push on the door, and it's been consistent for seven years we've tried to get you here because I wanted you on my team. And every time we tried to get you to move here, uh, the door would not open no matter how hard we pushed and kicked. Mm-hmm. Um, God kept you in Great Falls. And I don't think any of us really knew that this was why. But here we are. Mm -hmm. And I want to say thank you for being faithful. Thank you for being great friends. And thank you for walking the path that God has designed for you so that you would be ready at this moment in time when we needed you most. I looked at a whole bunch of verses trying to decide what what to charge you with today. And I settled on this one. It's one of my favorites, and you all are probably sick of it because I read this verse all the time from Ephesians chapter 4. You got us Kleenexes in first service and <laughs> failed me. <sighs> okay, this is servant leadership. All right. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Ephesians 4, starting at verse 11, says this. And I want to say this to you, Bob and Jean, and I hope you will remember this as long as you're in ministry. These are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. And you are gifts to me and Chris. And you are gifts to Connect Church. 
You are gifts to our Great Falls campus, and you have been gifts to all of us who have gotten to know you here at the Bozeman campus. And this is what, what it says here. The responsibility of these leaders is to equip God's people to do the work of the ministry and to build up the church, the body of Christ. And Bob and Jean, I want to charge you to do these things. Equip God's people to do the work of the ministry. It's not just you doing all the ministry work. It's you equipping every other part of Christ's body to do the work of the ministry and to build the church up. Uh, build the people that you are leading up. Encourage them and, and, and lead them and, and help them grow. And you will lead so well if you will keep those things in mind. And this is the end result. Verse 13 says, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. And that's the vision we have, is that many, many people in the Great Falls campus will be mature and complete and the standard of Jesus Christ. That's a huge vision, but that's what Jesus is calling you to. So with that being said, we're going to pray for you. So would you guys uh, come on down here and, and you leaders, anything, if, if you lead anything here at Connect, would you gather around Bob and Jean and join me in praying uh, as we commission them for ministry? Lord Jesus, today we give you thanks for these gifts to your church. Uh, it really is a miracle the way that you have ordered Bob and Jean's steps and we're so grateful. And today, Lord, as uh, Connect Church, we are sending them out to lead the Great Falls campus. And we want to pray, Lord, that in this moment of sending, you will anoint them with your Holy Spirit in power. Lord, we pray that your anointing will be a fulfillment of that prophetic word that Bud Knudsen spoke over Bob 20 years ago, Lord. Yes. We pray that that anointing will, will come to, uh, to full maturity as Bob and Jean step into this ministry role. But Lord, we also want to pray for a fresh anointing. We want to pray for a new outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that they will both lead in power, that they will lead with influence, Lord, that they will lead with uh, an overflow of the Holy Spirit that just spills out over every person that they know. I pray, Lord, that you will fill them with wisdom. I pray that you will fill them with insight. I pray, Lord, that every choice they make will be guided by your Holy Spirit speaking strongly to them. Mm -hmm. And Lord, I thank you that you have prepared them for this time. Yes. That, Lord, you, you made it very clear when the doors were open and when the doors were closed. Mm -hmm. and, and in mm -hmm. your time, Lord, now they are stepping into this role. Yes. And we thank you and we celebrate them and we mm -hmm. send them out with your anointing. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Everybody saying agreement, amen. 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 All right, we're going to jump into our teaching time, and we're going to move really quickly today uh, so we don't keep you too long today. If you haven't yet picked up a note card, please feel free to jump up and grab one. You'll want one to follow along today. They're right up here on the stage, or there's some back there at the, at the welcome desk if you want to grab those there. Uh, our message series that we're currently in is called Jesus Leads, and we've been taking a look at leadership lessons uh, from the life of Jesus, and uh, 
We're in week four of this message series, and we've been talking about what leadership looks like. We've been talking about the fact that Jesus is a servant leader, and then we've been unpacking exactly what that means to lead from the heart of a servant. The first week, we talked about heart motivations, and and we talked about how the default position of many leaders is to lead out of fear and insecurity, but that servant leaders lead from a place of confidence and, uh, and I have to look at my notes, I knew this, humility and confidence. Mm-hmm. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, maybe I should just let Bob teach this, I don't know. <laughs> Last week we talked about the head of a servant leader. Last week we talked, you guys are out of control over on this side. <laughs> It's because you did Jess them. is over there. I'm, I'm used to the out of control being over here. Um, <laughs> last week we talked about the head of a servant leader, what you need to know, what you need to pass on to those who are following you. We talked about mission, vision, values, those kinds of things uh, in, in your leadership. And then we talked about serving uh, in your leadership by helping your followers implement the vision. And today we want to turn from heart and head now to hands and talk about what leaders do when they lead in the servant leadership style of Jesus. I want to start with a verse from James chapter 1. James is such a great book in the Bible because it talks about the importance of putting your faith into action. And in James 1 verse 22 he says, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. And so today, we just want to turn from head knowledge and talk about doing. Now, in my lifetime, I have known and and been influenced by many, many great leaders. And uh, some of my early experiences were when I was in Bible school. I had a lot of really great professors when I was in Bible school. And uh, I had a really unique experience that I'm not going to go into all the details, but I had an opportunity to earn a double major and a minor while I was in college. And my senior year, I was trying to finish off these degrees. And I had a little bit of a crisis because my minor, which was in communications and preaching, Uh, I needed an elective class, and there was nothing that I could fit into my schedule for an elective in the communications portfolio of of this particular school. So I was talking to my guidance counselor, and he said, well, listen, in the elementary ed department, there's a class that can cross over into communications, and it could serve as an elective. I said, what is it? He said, it's storytelling to children. And it really wasn't something I was interested in. Little did I know how much it would benefit all of you someday in the future. But um, because I love to tell stories, (laughs) not because you're children. but, but I enrolled for this class, and, and, and I'm thinking to myself, this is just going to be a waste of time. I'm just, I'm just filling a slot so I can get my degree, right? Well, um, I went to class the first day, and, and the professor was a little lady. She was about four foot ten, tiny, tiny little lady, and just full of spunk. And, um, and I remember, like it was yesterday, that first day of class, she's going through the syllabus, and it starts up at the top with um, textbooks and, and the class schedule and then all this kind of stuff. And then we get to a section on the syllabus on testing. And it starts listing when the test will be, what the test will be like. And then she says, students, I want you to know that there will be no pop quizzes in this class. I do not believe in pop quizzes. Shirley Clark is not a tricky dick, and you can write that down. (laughs) 
And so I found her name at the top of my syllabus, and I wrote right under her name, Not a Tricky Dick. And I filed that in my, in my, in my book. I still have that folder with that, with that on it. And, and I've told that story a million times. But um, as funny as that was, and, and, and as much as we laughed about that in, in the weeks to come, what I found out about Shirley Clark, this professor who made us laugh, was that she wanted her students to win. And, and by not giving us pop quizzes, she was setting us up for success in this class. You know what I'm talking about? You have probably served under some leader or some teacher that wanted to somehow trip you up so you could fail. There's been a lot of controversy around the country about quotas for police officers, right? They have to write so many tickets. And part of the argument against that philosophy is we're setting people up for failure. Why don't we set them up to win? And uh, I read a story just this week about a professor, kind of like Shirley Clark. He, uh, He would give his students all the answers to all the tests at the beginning of the semester. And, and when he wasn't giving enough B's, C's, and D's in his classes, and the administration got upset with him, he, he said, listen, I want my students to get A's. That's my agenda. I want my students to succeed. I think this is great leadership. And I think we see this in the leadership style of Jesus. And, and we're going to take a look at that in just a moment as we turn to the Bible. But to begin with, I want to give you the big idea for today. And if you're taking notes, you'll want to write this down because we're going to see this illustrated in the leadership style of Jesus in the four stories we're looking at today. And the big idea is this. The servant leader is a performance coach who wants his followers to win. The servant leader is a performance coach who wants his followers to win. Shirley Clark was a professor in my life who wanted me as a student to win. Um, I've had employers that I worked for that wanted me to win. Great leaders coach their followers so that they learn to win. Now, I've shared with you in weeks before, I believe Jesus was the greatest leader who ever lived. And I want to take us to four stories in the New Testament that are going to illustrate this principle that he coached his followers so that they would win. If you've got a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 10. That's where we're going to start today. We won't have a lot of this stuff up on the screen because they're long passages, so I want to encourage you to follow along. Uh, Feel free to use your phone or your tablet, or if you need a Bible, we've got some back at the Welcome Center. Feel Feel free to grab one. But the first story we're going to see is in Matthew chapter 10. We'll read that in just a moment. But we're going to talk about four levels of leadership. Level one, level two, level three, level four. And we're also going to use words that come from the trade guilds, novice, apprentice, journeyman, master. If if you're familiar with plumbing or electricians, they go through these processes, these levels of leadership uh, to come to mastery. And we can kind of see this in the life of Jesus and the way he trained his disciples. And we're going to start out at level one, the novice level. The disciples have been called. You'll remember the story if you were with us in the last couple of weeks. Jesus met these different people. Fishermen uh, was one story that we read a couple of weeks ago. And he met Peter and Andrew and some of these other guys fishing. And, and he said, listen, you're no longer going to be fishermen. I'm going to make you fishers of men. And with that, they left their nets and they followed Jesus. Kind of an extraordinary story. 
and then he begins to train them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know how to do the work of the ministry that, that I've been talking with Bob and Jean about. They didn't know Ephesians 4.11, but Jesus began to train them, and we're going to take a look at how in Matthew chapter 10. So I'm starting at verse 5. Take a look in your Bibles with me. Here's what it says. Jesus sent out the 12 disciples with these instructions. He says, don't go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans, but only to the people of Israel, God's lost sheep. Go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. Now that doesn't sound too difficult. He's basically telling them to go and preach a couple of sermons. I imagine some of them had speaking gifts. They were good at it. They'd gone to speech class in high school or whatever. You know, they, that, that wasn't too tough. But then the next verse, if I had been Jesus' disciple, would have freaked me out a little. In the next verse, Jesus said this, Go and heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. Now, if I had been there, that would have made me shake in my boots. Anybody mm-hmm. with me? That's mm-hmm. just a little over the top. I'm okay with preaching, but raising the dead, uh, that would make me feel a little frightened. But what's cool here is Jesus didn't just stop there. And, and it's indicative of the way Jesus led his disciples in these early years. He went on to give them detailed instructions. Look at verse 9. Don't take any money in your money belts, no gold or silver or any copper coins. Don't carry a traveler's bag with a change of clothes and sandals or even a walking stick. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve to be fed. And then he went on and gave more details. He just gave them detailed information. And then in verse 16, he said, look, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. So be shrewd as snakes and harmless as doves. And here's what I want you to see about how Jesus led the disciples at this level one position. Jesus gave these level one disciples extensive, basic instructions. Gave them extensive, basic instructions. He didn't just send them out and say, okay, uh, you've watched me do it, now go heal a dead person. Go find somebody in a morgue somewhere. And he, no, he sat down with them and he walked them through it. He was very detailed, very careful about it. And at this level, if you're leading anybody who's a novice at what they do, at this level, a leader provides this kind of basic information. What, how, where, when, why. These are the things you want to give people that are new to your team. Whether you are a manager or a CEO or whatever leadership position you may have, even parents, you need to give your kids basic information at this level one Uh, leadership development. I've been working through this just recently uh, when we brought Dean and Karen Siskoyas onto our staff. And and when we began talking about them joining our team, uh, one of the things Dean and Karen asked is, well, can you give us uh, a job description for us to look look at? And I said, yes, because I'm a big believer in job descriptions. Because this is the basic what, when, how, where, and why, right? And so I printed it up. All of our team leaders here at Connect have, have job descriptions. And, and I gave it to Dean and Karen. And then we started walking through line by line. What does this mean? What does it look like? How is this fleshed out? And then since they've been on our staff, and they're doing a phenomenal job, I want to say, um, since they've been on our staff, we talk 
close to daily, almost every day we talk, and we're checking in, and they're asking, what about this? What about this? What do you think about this? And how do I word this? And, and it's, it's this uh, lots of information in the beginning stages. And that's how you lead somebody at level one. Now, I, I don't want to uh, imply that they're not really good at what they do. They, they're really great at what they do. Um, but, but we're just new to working together. So this is a time when there's lots of information. So that's level one. Let's take a look at level two, and, and Bob's going to share with us about that. Okay, so once we get to level two, what we're calling that is the apprentice level. Uh, in level one, you've learned basic information, but now in the apprentice level, you are really immersed in training. You're into some serious training, and if you're familiar with uh, the trades or anything like that, it takes a long time to graduate out of level two. So you're in level two as an apprentice for quite a while. Uh, you haven't mastered all, everything yet, all the information, but you are immersed in training, and you're really learning a lot. So let's go ahead and, and jump to Matthew chapter 17, and we'll take a look at our next story. Starting at verse 14, a man came and knelt before Jesus and said, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. Let's just take a stop real quick right there and and put ourselves in in the shoes of the father. I mean, that's kind of where I gravitate toward, towards a parent role. He must have just been beside himself with his son having all these seizures, right? Very stressful, very, even maybe even very frustrated with what was going on. But he saw the disciples and he takes his child to the disciples, but they couldn't do anything either. So now think of the disciples, right? They're walking with Jesus. They're being trained. They're in this level two area. So they've had some ups and downs, but what a huge setback, right? What a crush in their confidence at this point in time where they're sitting there and they're, they're wanting to do the ministry, but they just, they just can't. Well, well, let's see what Jesus does with this situation. Continuing in verse 18, then Jesus rebuked the demon in the boy and it left him. From that moment, the boy was well. Afterward, the disciples asked Jesus privately, well, why couldn't we cast out the demon? You don't have enough faith, Jesus told them. I tell you the truth, if you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. But this kind of demon won't leave except by prayer and fasting. So do you see what Jesus did there? The first thing, he was honest with them, right? He said, you don't have enough faith. But he just didn't leave it at that. He didn't belittle them. He didn't mock them or, you know, give them the business. No, he went and he corrected them and he instructed them. Because what did he tell them very, the very next? That this kind of demon won't leave except by prayer and fasting. So if they prayed and if they fasted, then you go back to nothing is impossible, right? And so what is Jesus doing there once again? He's instructing them and he's making sure he's setting them up for success. But at that point in time, that's a critical time for a leader when you have team members below you that are, are frustrated or have this setback or this lack of confidence. Now, if he would have belittled them or mocked them or whatever and said, but you know, you've been running with me, come on, what, what's your deal? Why can't you get this stuff? If he would have done that, well, they might have quit and just walked away. Or even worse, you may have experienced this, coworkers that you work with, they don't walk away because they need that paycheck, right? But what do they do many times? Is they, they check out in their heart 
and they're just not there anymore. Their heart's not in it anymore. They quit in their heart, but they keep coming to get the paycheck. But Jesus didn't do any of that. Jesus made sure that at this level, and it's in your notes, Jesus gave the level two disciples two things. He gave them encouragement, but he also gave them correction. He was truthful with them. And as leaders, we need to be truthful, but we need to also be encouraging at the same time. And once again, set them up for success. At this level, the leader provides three things. Instruction, opportunity, and evaluation. And once again, the servant leader is a performance coach who wants his followers to what? To succeed, to win. Now, I was a youth leader for many, many years in the church in Great Falls. And if you've ever worked with the youth, a lot of times, well, most of the time, you have youth coming in and they're either from broken homes or they're from an abusive situation, abusive home, maybe verbally, maybe physically. And, and, and that takes, um, it, it comes out, manifests itself in many different ways, either by you know, drugs, alcohol, or sex, or cutting, or some, something like that. You can just tell that they are in a crisis situation. Well, there was this one particular young man that came into the youth group, and uh, I got to know him pretty, pretty well, and he was, a, he was just a great kid. And he was very good with working with his hands. He wanted to be into the trade of carpentry. He wanted to be a carpenter, and he was making all of these things. And, and I saw a few of them, and they were just really awesome. He was just very talented. But I come to find out that he tried to get that affirmation from his dad, but it, it just wasn't there. His dad would take a look at the piece, whatever he did, and said, well, that's good, but you could do better. Or maybe he'd pick a parts, an, another part of his life and, and would just always be finding fault with him and never encouraging him or, or anything like that. And this kid was getting really frustrated. This kid was to the point to where he wanted to quit and he wanted to check out of this relationship. Well, obviously I encouraged him not to, right? And I said, you can't control what your dad's doing, but you can control your choices and you can control your actions. So stay in there continue trying to build that relationship. And, you know, I said, it will come to fruition. And I prayed for him that, that his relationship with his dad would, would get to that point where it would be healthy. Well, I kind of lost track with him because he was at the youth group for about six months or a year. And, and I, I don't know whatever became of that, but I just pray that the Lord uh, was instrumental and, and the dad really did want to uh, reconnect with his son and, and have that healthy relationship. But that's what Jesus was doing here with this level two, right? He provided great instruction, great opportunity, and great evaluation. And that's what we need to do as leaders with the team members that we have working below us. All right, so now level three. We get to level three, and we call this the journeyman level. Uh, we're actually going to focus on Peter. Uh, and, and I just want to make mention, we're going to actually go back in Matthew to uh, Matthew chapter 14. And, and it's a good point to bring up that many people underneath you on your team are going to be at different levels and at different places at different times. And so we were just in Matthew 17, but now we're backing up to Matthew 14 to see where Peter was at that point in time. So if you want to pick it up in 14, verse 26 is where I'm going to start. When the disciples saw him standing on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, It's a ghost! But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. 
So Peter went over to the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Let's stop there just for a second. A lot of times when we read this portion of the Bible, we kind of focus on Peter and his lack of faith at the time, the fact that he was sinking. But let's consider, he was walking on water, right? What a miraculous miracle. What a miraculous event that Peter stepped out on the boat and was actually walking on the water. We don't know exactly how far, but he was walking on the water. That is a miraculous thing, right? So let's, let's pick it up at verse 31. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? So here we, we see a little faith again. But let's consider something for a moment. Where is this conversation taking place? Out on the water still, right? It didn't say that, well, he brought him back to the boat and he started talking to Peter. No, they're still out on the water having a conversation. Doesn't that just blow you away? That is amazing. And so at this point in time, Peter is actually walking on water and now he has been lifted up and Jesus was there ready and willing to help him immediately and they're having this conversation on the water. That to me is amazing. And so in your notes, what did Jesus do here at level three? Jesus gave his level three disciple two things, support and encouragement. Once again, we see that encouragement again, but he gave him support. He was there immediately to help him up. And then they had this follow-on conversation on the water. That's unbelievable. But followers who don't get that kind of support and encouragement, especially at this point in time in the journeyman phase, because they're basically independent now when you get to the journeyman phase, right? You're done with all of your training, and now you, you're kind of empowered to go and to be in charge of jobs and to do this kind of stuff. Well, if they don't get that support and encouragement, they become critical. And if they become critical and skeptical, they start poisoning the waters in your organization, right? And that can be a really deadly thing when you're trying to lead people. But Jesus didn't do or didn't ignore him, right? He wasn't inattentive to Peter's needs. He was right there. And so as leaders, when we're interacting with people that are in this journeyman place, we need to be attentive to, to encourage and support them. Because if we're inattentive, then they'll have that spiral of poisoning the waters and becoming critical. At this level, the leader provides not just assignments, but once again, support and encouragement. Now, many of you know that I'm a retired military guy. I was in the Air Force for 25 years. And thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, but, all, <laughs> but we learn a lot of these principles as far as leadership goes and stuff. And I remember as a tech sergeant, which I call kind of middle management, I'm not just an airman anymore, but I'm not above in, in real management when you're leading a lot of people, but you're in this middle management. And I had moved to the shop. And there was this young airman who had been what I call running the field. That's what we call running the field up at Malmstrom. And, and he was running the field, and he's a really good technician. He was in for six years, or going to be in for six years. He's at about his three-year mark, and he's deciding whether or not he's going to stay. And so I got to know him pretty well. I, he, I wasn't his supervisor. A friend of mine was. But I was chatting with him one time, and he was talking about maybe getting out and, and pursuing a civilian career, which is great. But I saw some awesome potential in him, really, to be a great instructor and to be a great teacher. 
Well, his supervisor really didn't do a whole lot of the encouraging and the supporting for him. So at this point in time, he was kind of wanting to check out and, and go do something different. But I talked to his supervisor and I said, hey, you know what? This guy would make a great teacher or a great instructor. You should really see if there's a, a slot open for him so he can move over. Well, come to find out in a few months there was a slot for him. And sure enough, he moved him over to that place. Well, Lo and behold, a couple years later, he was still in. He had re-enlisted. He was a great instructor. And so that was really what I saw. as a, He was at that level three journeyman place, and he was kind of getting really frustrated just because he was not having the support and the encouragement that he really needed. But he was moved over. He was an instructor now, and he was flourishing. And that's what Jesus really was doing with Peter when he was there, and he encouraged him, and he was there immediately to offer that support. And that's what we need to do with the journeymen that are underneath us. We need to be there, we need to support, and we need to encourage them. All right, let's... Let's wrap up with level four. Acts chapter two, we're going to fast forward now in Peter's life. Jesus has been crucified. He's risen from the dead. He's ascended into heaven. The Bible says he's at the right hand of the Father. And now, uh, Jesus has sent the disciples forth. They've come to this place of full maturity as leaders. Uh, In in the trade guilds, we would call them masters. Of course, as a Christian, I don't think any of us ever become masters. Jesus is the master. But certainly, Peter was very, very skilled at what he did. And we're going to see his skill in Acts chapter 2. Uh, I'm going to start reading at verse 36. In Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches this scorching sermon. And if you've never read this, it's well worth going back and reading the whole sermon. But we're just going to pick up on the end of it at verse 36. And here's what we read. Peter says, So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Now, Peter isn't glossing over anything. He's not making Jesus easy to swallow. He's saying, you crucified Jesus, but Jesus is Lord and Savior. And it's pretty incredible because the next verse says, Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, to those who are far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. And then Peter continued preaching for a long time. Do you wish Peter was here today preaching a long time? I get a lot of inspiration from this verse, I just have to tell you, because... Peter preached, okay, I should quit and go on. All right. He strongly urged his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Now look at this. This is the last verse right here. It says, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. This is incredible. This is Peter at his very best. Peter wasn't a novice anymore. Peter wasn't an apprentice anymore. Peter had gotten to the point where he could preach a sermon so effectively that 3,000 people got baptized. Now, between our two campuses, when we do water baptism about every other month, we're baptizing 5 to 10 people in two cities every other month. (coughs) 
Can you imagine if I could preach such a scorching sermon that 3,000 people got baptized in one day? That would be incredible. But it's really a result of Jesus' leadership in Peter's life. Do you see this? And if we're going to lead like Jesus, we go through these different levels and we, we lead in his style. And at this level, here's what I see Jesus doing. You can write this down. Jesus sent his level four disciples out on his behalf. He sent them out on his behalf. (coughs) You remember the Great Commission? When Jesus said, go into all the world, preach the gospel. In Acts chapter one, he said, you're gonna be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. Jesus sent his disciples out and he gave them the authority to preach his message in his name without him there to prop them up. This is what leaders do at this level. They provide affirmation and autonomy. The problem many leaders get into at this point is they they fail to recognize that the people they're leading are fully capable of doing the job. Parents can get into this trap and they feel like their kids need to be handheld all the time when in fact their, their kids are ready for autonomy. Bosses can become insecure and feel like this young upstart, he's too good, he's going he's gonna to supplant me, I'm going to lose my job because this, this kid is so good. But great leaders understand that I give them autonomy, I send them out and I give them my affirmation. I was thinking this morning about the process of learning to drive a car, <coughs> excuse me, and, and I remember when my dad would sit in the passenger seat and I would be driving the car. We had this giant old Buick Electra from the 70s. You remember those cars? Some of you do. And my dad would sit in the passenger seat and I'm driving that car and dad would have his arm clear across there holding onto the steering wheel because he's afraid I'm going to kill him by driving into a tree, right? And, and every once in a while, you just jerk the wheel, right? And, and, and that was novice driving. And then I can remember when, when he let me drive the car to school for the first time. And it was apprentice driving. Came with all kinds of instructions. Don't pick up your friends. Don't listen to any music. Don't get distracted. All these don'ts, don'ts, don'ts. But, but you can drive to school and you can drive home. That was huge. But then I remember the day. It, it, it was the summer between my junior and senior year. And my parents gave me permission to drive their car to go visit my grandparents. A four-hour drive away by myself. I drove to Conrad from Great Falls to pick up my best friend there, and then the two of us went to visit my grandparents for the weekend. And that was like, woohoo, I've got this car all to myself. It it was such a gift of my parents' trust. They gave me affirmation, and they they encouraged me, and and they just said, son, I trust you. Take, Take this ugly car to Bab, Montana, to visit your grandparents. They really weren't worried about the car. But you you know what I'm talking about? It feels so good when somebody just sends you out. Today, my parents come to Bozeman from time to time, and they visit, and and when we're driving around town, Dad just gives me the keys and says, Son, you can drive. And it's that passing of the baton, right? Uh, Passing the leadership on. There There was a day when nobody but Dad drove when we're all together. This is great leadership, right? And, And I want to finish with some next steps. And, and it really relates to this last thing. The first next step is this. Uh, coach your followers to win. If you're in a leadership position, whether you're a mom or a dad or you're a manager, you're a CEO, 
or, or if you've just got friends that you influence, you lead, coach them to win. If you realize that sometimes you're trying to trip people up so that you can come down on them, listen, you're not leading like Jesus. Jesus never did that. He'd bring correction, but it was always in the spirit of love and, and grace, and I want you to win. So coach them to win. And then secondly, start coaching your replacement now. Listen, a lot of leaders start getting real insecure when they start talking about who's going to replace them. But this is the reality. You are not going to be in your job forever. You're either going to get promoted, or you're going to move on to a new job, or you're going to retire, or you're going to die. But somebody is going to take your job. So start coaching them now. Because you know what? When they move into your job and they do your job better than you do your job, you know who's going to look really good? You. Because you coach them to win. And that's great leadership. And the last next step is this. Keep your eyes on the big picture instead of on your own security. Don't let that fear get you all knotted up. But remember, I'm following Jesus. I'm leading like Jesus. I want my team to win. I want my kids to win. Friends, lead your kids well. Identify when they're novices and apprentices and journeymen and masters and coach them well through those, through those experiences and help them win. Pray with me, would you? Lord God, so many of us have these voices in our heads that say, you're unworthy. And we're haunted by the voices of shame and regret. But I know, Jesus, that you came to set us free from those voices that whispered defeat and losing and failure. And instead, Jesus, you lead us to win. You lead us to succeed because you've paid the price for our mistakes. You've paid the price, the penalty for sin and, and, and for failure. And Jesus, we are going to follow you into the future redeemed. And Jesus, some of us today are just beginning to contemplate seriously making a decision to follow Jesus. I want to pray, Lord, that as we follow you, you will lead us into truth. Jesus, you'll change us from the inside out. You'll wash away our sin and you'll change us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.